to the book of Colossians. And I'm going to start in verse 1 before our text is 9 through 14, but I'm just going to read up to verse 8 and then then through our text this morning. Um, Verses 1 through 8 is just more of a greeting and thanksgiving. But it says, Colossians 1 and 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father and of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, As indeed, in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you this morning um, that you have welcomed and invited us by your grace into the kingdom of your beloved son. We were once in darkness, but you uh, redeemed us from the power of sin, and, and you have invited us and called us to share. You have qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints, not in darkness, but in light. And in your son, Jesus, we have uh, forgiveness and the redemption uh, from, uh, from uh, our sins. Lord, touch our heart this morning that we may, um, that we may hear uh, what you have commanded and, and what you speak to us in your word. We desire to know you, to walk in your ways, convince us and convict us of the word of God this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so, just a... Uh, kind of front load the big idea of this passage. Um, The Holy Spirit fills us with the knowledge of God so we can live lives worthy um, of the gospel that we've received. And this knowledge centers on uh, the powerful redemptive work of Christ Jesus, God's Son. My parents were um, 
children during the beatnik era. The beatniks were an underground movement of nonconformists, and they questioned the power of government and religion and authority um, and politics. They're kind of like hipsters of their day. Um, and that movement sort of laid the cultural seeds for a movement that would come later, the hippie movement. And my parents were part of the hippie movement. And um, they were also anti-establishment. They kind of took the next step forward from their beatnik forebears. And um, most of the hippies became involved in political activism, uh, drug experimentation, and spiritual movements, and sometimes all three simultaneously. Um, and the movement was anything but monolithic. For some people, the hippie movement was permission to be criminal. You know, they had biker gangs that would show up at love-ins and they would, you know, beat people up. Um, for other people, it meant a quest for genuine love that wasn't constrained by tradition or convention. Um, you can think of maybe the casual promiscuity that kind of emerged during that. They call that the period of sexual revolution. Um, and really the alternate sexual orientation kind of uh, as, as a, really as a movement in this country kind of emerged during that time also. And um, as a nation, we're certainly living with the consequences for better or for worse of that time in a really, uh, in a really powerful way. Uh, but one of the most powerful ways that the hippie movement impacted American culture was it got people thinking about God not directly, but you know, existentially. Um, what is the real meaning of life? Why are we here, et cetera? And uh, my parents had a, a group of, of hippie friends they hung out with, and one of them was a girl named Linda. And Lin Linda's family owned uh, a series, a chain of furniture stores, and they were pretty wealthy. Linda's family was pretty wealthy. Um, but she was embarrassed by that. My mom said that she would buy $100 jeans back in the 60s and drag them through the mud and tear holes in them, you know, and that kind of, that kind of thing. And, um, and because she had money, she would travel the world. And um, after being gone for a couple years, came back to find that uh, her two best friends, my mother and father, had become Christians. And uh, my mom and dad shared what they understood the gospel to be with Linda, but she was incredulous. Linda thought, it's too simple. There's no way you found the meaning of life in your backyard. She was incredulous. She couldn't believe that, that this was the meaning of life. It was too simple, too simplistic of an answer for her. And she would later travel the globe looking for God and, uh, and transcendent meaning in the caves and mountains of Nepal and Tibet, um, hoping to find truth and meaning in a Buddhist monastery uh, or something like that. For her, Christianity just wasn't pl a plausible philosophy of the world. It was too domesticated. It wasn't exotic enough. It wasn't mysterious enough. Paul faces a similar challenge with um, the Colossian Christians. Epaphras, who's a leader in the Colossian church, <clears throat> has shared with them kind of the rudimentary foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there were teachers, outside teachers, that were offering um, 
an appealing but heretical philosophy of knowledge, knowledge that didn't lead to God and his son, but to kind of an intellectual, spiritual elitism. And so Epaphras, he goes to Paul for advice and says, I'm, I'm not equipped to deal with this encroaching you know, alternate philosophy. And so the occasion of Paul's letter to the Colossian church is really centers around countering some of this exotic uh, intellectual, spiritual um, uh, doctrines that are, that are floating around at the time. Um, <clears throat> the Colossians were being influenced by teaching that, that offered uh, kind of a higher knowledge. So the first question I want to ask is, um, and the first question that I think this, uh, this passage of Scripture asks for us is, how can we know God? How can we know God's will? Three, three words that just kind of blast off from this passage of Scripture is, um, three ideas, is knowing God, pleasing God, and enduring in God. So if, if we were to just to summarize these, uh, these five verses, we would just say knowing, pleasing, enduring, okay? And so how can we know God's will? That's what the Colossians were after, and that's why they were entertaining thoughts from outside, and the first thing we should know is this. A saving knowledge of God isn't blind faith, but neither is it exclusively an intellectual exercise. Ultimately, knowledge of God is spiritual. Look at verse 9. He says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. The false teachers wanted to take uh, the simple truth of the gospel and stratify it in mystery. And Paul, he, just, he does just the opposite. He takes the mystery of the ages and declares that they have now become revealed in God's Son, Jesus. This is, this, is, this, is, this is one way you know if you're being kind of carried off with some weird wind of doctrine, if things get really fuzzy. The gospel ultimately is pretty simple for us to grab and grab a hold of. It doesn't mean that there aren't deep, really deep, complicated things in Scripture, but essentially what it means to know God is pretty simple. So Paul does the opposite from the, the, these, uh, these false teachers, and he essentially declares that the mystery of the ages has been distilled and revealed through a knowledge of God's will. And this only comes through spiritual wisdom and understanding. And in, in other words, what, what he's saying is, it's not natural. What these teachers are professing is really, it, 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 uh, put, it um, acts like it's lofty and, and, and spiritual, but really it's, it's natural. Yeah, and <clears throat> and there's, there's a few things for us to, to understand. Um, that true knowledge of God comes through spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so here's something helpful for us to think about when we think of the knowledge of God. Knowledge of God is not like simple math. There's different types of knowing. There are different types of knowledge, and not all knowledge is the same. So the knowledge that two plus two is four, simple math kind of knowledge, is not the kind of knowledge by which a husband and, uh, you know, um, understands the knowledge that his wife loves him, and vice versa. 
That's a different kind of knowledge. You don't put, you know, this emotion and this thought and you grind it in the math equator or the calculator and now you have love and you can examine it under a microscope or you can do it on a piece of graph paper. Not all knowledge is the same. So the first thing that we shouldn't do is make the mistake of thinking that knowledge of God is empirical and scientific in the way that math knowledge is. And when you, when you um, assume that knowing God is just as simple as a math equation, what you're doing is, and what people who do that do, is they assume a materialistic worldview. That everything in the universe is material, and that you can essentially uh, know all facts in the same way. And it's just not true. There are different types of knowledge. Um, the voices around us say, maybe you've said this, maybe you've thought this, I'll believe in God when I see him. If I can't scientifically prove God's existence, then he isn't real. Um, and you hear that all over the place, right? So you, you watch Bill Maher. Hopefully you're not watching that guy, but, but you've come across him, I'm sure. Uh, or Richard Dawkins, or Dan Dennett, or Sam Harris, or Christopher Hitchens before he passed away. And these are people who are saying, essentially, for all of their, you know, uh, sophisticated arguments, what they're really saying is, I don't see God, and if God's real, let him, let him appear before me right now. And because he hasn't done that, there must be no God. So um, that kind of treatment that of knowledge, the knowledge of God is simplistic. It's really elementary. It, it does not take into account the fact that there are different types of knowledge and there are different types of knowing. But what's instructive for us is this. Um, all of those ideas um, are ruling out something that is very real and powerful in Scripture, and that is um, the mystery of the spiritual. Spiritual in the supernatural world. Um, and Paul is saying that knowledge of God isn't really discerned through scientific inquiry, but the wisdom and understanding that comes from the Holy Spirit. Listen, there are evidences all around us for the existence of God, but without the illumination of the Holy Spirit, they're powerless. So we don't rely on the evidences, even though there are tons of evidences. I personally believe if you go up to Mount Ararat and the snow melts, you'll see Noah's Ark right there. But you know, if they were Maybe it's not, but if, it was, if, if, if they were to bring Noah's Ark off Mount Ararat and, you know, big heavy helicopters fly it to the Smithsonian and drop it down in Washington, D.C., there are still people who would say, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Because ultimately, the knowledge of God, which is ultimate knowledge, comes by way of spiritual understanding, and that's what Paul's getting at here. <clears throat> um, in a very real sense, I'll take it a step further and say this. Now, without the knowledge of God, you can't really know with certainty that you know anything at all. Colossians 2 and 3, later on in the book, says, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that the unbeliever, that the skeptic, can't know anything? It doesn't mean that, because we know men, can, men and women, human beings, can know things, Right? We build skyscrapers. We build rocket ships to, to, to outer space. Of course, people can know things, but we can't really, from a, from a uh, doctrinal or philosophical point, we can't really know that we know anything without the knowledge of God as a starting point for all knowledge. And I'll unpack that a little bit. Um, 
Romans 1.21 says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Here's the interesting thing. Um, we live at a time when our secular culture is dispensing with belief in the God of the Bible. In exchange, we're told, for the rational. Um, the irony of it is this, that while that's being said publicly, there's this weird cultural fascination with all things that are kind of mystical and weird, right? There's television shows and all over the place about vampires and werewolves. And that, that doesn't comport with a culture that has dispensed with a belief in the supernatural, does it? Because in reality, we're, we're creatures that are ultimately grasping for a transcendent knowledge. And if we dispense with the knowledge of God, we replace it with some other transcendent knowledge. One of the most, one of the most uh, um, I don't know how else to describe it, but flabbergasting revelations you know, to me is that uh, leading respected scientists who reject the idea that God exists have posited, and it's really a popular theory, that life came to planet Earth by way of aliens. Now, this goes back to Romans 121. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. G.K. Chesterton um, is famous for saying that when men stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing, they believe in anything. And that's important for us. And we're talking about knowledge and the importance of knowledge. And um, knowledge is important, but the right kind of knowledge is key, and knowledge that is rooted and grounded in God's revelation to humanity is, is really the key for knowing anything at all. Here's why the knowledge of God is the bedrock of all knowledge. Because without it, you have to go through an infinite regress when explaining how you know something. I say, well, you know, um, I know that uh, I'm alive. I say, well, how do you know that? Well, it's logical. I have a, a heartbeat, and I can see things, and I can interact with people. And then you can say, well, how, you know, how do you know your logic is logical? Well... My faculties of reason have told me that my logic is logical. Well, how do you know your reason is reasonable? Well, I see with my eyes and my brain interprets the data that I'm looking at. Well, how do you know your brain is correctly interpreting the data you're looking at? So you can go through this infinite regress, or you can say this. I know that I can know things because a being who knows all things has revealed to mankind certain things. In other words, the foundation of knowing, you don't have to go through this infinite regress of explaining how you're processing data and how you know things correctly. We, we stand on the firm foundation that we can certain know things with certainty because an omniscient being, the God of the Bible, has revealed it to us. It's simple. And so it's not this long, complex answer of how can we know and how can we, you know, I, I think, therefore I am, and all these things. Um, I, I, I recently, uh, I think it was a, a year and a half ago, I saw, uh, I read a report, and it was, I think, NASA, and they were sending out a new spacecraft uh, to, to gather uh, cosmic dust. 
and it was a $50 billion project. $50 billion project. That's like Warren Buffett and uh, you know, Bill Gates, you know, um, wealth together, you know, their, their net worth or something. It's a lot of money, and it was like a 10-year project. And the whole purpose is they wanted to know where life on earth came from. And I just read it, and I just went, what? You know? And I just, I mean, I looked at my Bible, and I, you know, it's right there. Um, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, so verse 10 explains to us why all this knowledge. What's knowledge for? Um, how can we live in a way, essentially, this is the next question, that pleases God? The knowledge of God's will transforms us. Verse 10, look at verse 10, it says, To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. So why, why do we have this knowledge? Why are we to, to um, be filled with the knowledge of God um, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding? Well, it's to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord that fully pleases him and bearing fruit in every good work. Um, why do we have to walk in a manner uh, that, that's worthy to the Lord to please him? I mean, isn't God happy with us just the way we are? Well, when we become Christians, we're not justified, we're made right with God. Uh, from the moment of an initial saving faith, but we can still do things daily that either please or displease God. And this is why we're to bear fruit in every good work. Salvation isn't the finish line, right? When God calls us to know him in the person and work of Jesus Christ, it's the starting point. And so the starting point of that and saving knowledge is now to live in a way that glorifies God and that agrees with what God has done in our hearts through that, that salvific saving work. And, and, here, and we're supposed to bear fruit. Remember, uh, remember when Jesus said, you know a tree by the fruit it bears, right? A good tree can't bring forth bad fruit. And if so, so if you want to know the evidence that someone has been converted, well, according to Jesus, it's about bearing fruit. Look at the fruit a tree bears, and there's your proof right there. And this is what Paul is touching on. He's saying, look, the evidence that you've, that you've, uh, that you've been enlightened is not some stratified, mysterious knowledge um, that, that gets you to a place of being spiritually elite. It's, it's what God has revealed in his word, and it's bearing fruit. So this is what it means to know God. Um, <clears throat> and we're also to increase in the knowledge of God. So here's this wraparound from these, from these couple of verses. Right? We're filled with the knowledge of God's will, with spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that we can walk in a way that that's worthy of the Lord, and that pleases him by doing what? Bearing fruit. And then guess what happens as we bear fruit and as we walk the Christian walk? Our knowledge of God increases more. You know, I'm the type of person that if you teach me something, I won't really get it. I have to do it for myself. If I do it, I'll really learn it. You, you could sit there. I remember when, when everyone first got personal computers, I don't know. You know, the computer guys, the computer geeks were getting personal computers in the 70s. But to the rest of us, you know, all of us got um, computers in our homes maybe in the mid-90s. My brother was one of the first ones in our family with a computer. And um, he invited us all over. And he wanted to show us how to work the computer. This is like 95 or something. 
and he was on the internet, and back then it was just AOL, and it was dial-up, and you heard that weird noise in the background when you dialed up and you waited 10 minutes to get on the internet. And he showed me for about two hours, he was just, show, he was just having a good old time, and at one point I just got up and I just walked away. You know, I said, look, let me do it myself, and I'll learn it. And sure enough, you know, I got on there in a few minutes, I got it. Listen, when we, when we live the Christian life, when we are walking the walk, right? That's an old Hebrew metaphor for, for living in a righteous way, and it's still with us today, right? If you, say you do, if you say you're a certain kind of person, you've got to walk the walk. When we walk that way, we learn more about God. When we wrestle every day against our sins and temptations and seek God in prayer and, you know, endure by God's grace and power the trials of daily life, we learn more about him. And so there's this kind of, this loop around. God fills us, passively we receive through the Holy Spirit, a knowledge of him and his will, and we're empowered. And then as we live out the Christian life, we actually grow more in the knowledge of God. Um, In his book, The Doctrine of the Knowledge of God, John Frame says that there's a circular relation between knowledge and obedience in Scripture. He says this, he says these three things. Knowledge of God produces obedience. Obedience to God leads to knowledge. And obedience, and this is where he says, obedience is knowledge, and knowledge is obedience. Someone says, I know God, but they don't live for him. I would say, you don't know God, right? In other words, if you truly know something, it changes the way you behave, or it ought to. Um, One of the reasons why it's become so hard for us to share the gospel in the day and age we live in now with skeptics and unbelievers is they simply don't believe that we believe what we say we believe. Does that make sense? It's hard to share the gospel now with, with, and maybe this is the challenge that has always existed, but when the unbeliever hears us proclaim something about God, and then they see that we don't live in a way that agrees with our profession, they say, well, that's, you know, they see right through it. Um, Recently, there's been a revelation from the Ashley Madison scandal, and I heard something like 37 million people have been caught up in it. And, um, and it's bound to come out, I'm sure, that some of these people are Christians and some of them are even pastors. Um, but here's what we shouldn't miss. When the world throws the indiscretions of Christians in the church's face, we shouldn't get offended. Because in reality, it's really a kind of disappointment. See, they want to believe that the gospel changes people. They want to believe that deep down, even if they don't confess it. And so, because, you know, in their sinful nature, they throw it back in our face. But in reality, instead of getting angry about it and saying they're just pouncing, you know, pouncing on any opportunity to discredit us, what's really going on there, and this is something we shouldn't miss, is there's actually a disappointment. Because deep down, they want to believe that the gospel changes people. Because they've heard it said. They want to believe that we're really changed by the gospel. And so when we behave in a way that says otherwise, they throw it in our face, and it's really the result of disappointment. It really is. So um, 2 Peter 3.11 says this, considering what I just said. Knowing this, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and righteousness? You know, with that knowledge, what kind of people ought we to be with lives of holiness and righteousness? And then, um, and then the third thing here is uh, 
Paul's admonition to the Colossians about knowing God and pleasing God, um, ultimately he makes an appeal and says that this knowledge that causes us to walk in a certain way fills us uh, with the knowledge of God. And he says this in verse 11, he says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for what? For endurance and for patience. He wants us to endure. And um, why do we need endurance and patience? Look at the words here. Strength, power, endurance, patience. Verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for endurance and patience. That doesn't sound like a cakewalk, right? You know, it's, it's not, okay, may, may you be filled with the knowledge of God so you can enjoy the rest of your days on a sandy beach, you know, sipping iced tea. Paul sees the Christian life as a real challenge. And he says, be strengthened with power and endurance and patience. I mean, it sounds like a triathlon here, you know? I think we've got some triathletes here in the house, right? I mean, it's tough work. And Paul is not cagey about the fact that this is not an easy walk. Um, You know, there are times as Christians where we just run out of steam. Um, But here's the kicker. We're not supposed to rely on our own strength to get us through. Uh, A quick illustration. I'm into wilderness hiking and backpacking. And one of the things I love about it is uh, it's so challenging, and you're, you're climbing and dropping in elevation. You've got a 30 to 40-pound backpack on, and it's usually, I mean, it's, it's brutal. Your, your heartbeat is up to 195, 200 beats a minute, and you're just, you know, you're burning through calories. And the payoff is when you get into the remote wilderness, you have this private campsite. If you find a flat spot near water, it's your private campsite. But anyways, when I, when I started getting into this, this hobby... Um, I, I started reading on um, the way people die in the wilderness, and it freaked my wife out. Um, but the reason I did that is because I wanted to learn what it took to endure. How can I endure in, in, in a situation where I'm burning through uh, hydration and calories, and I'm in a situation that could potentially kill me, and people die every year in the wilderness because they think it's like an amusement park, and they freeze to death, or they run out of food, and they get lost, and there's all these things. So before I ever went on my first backpacking trip, I read for like a year, and I stocked up on gear. You know, I probably spent more money than I should have, but I got, you know, a compass and map, and I learned how to navigate in the wilderness and triangulate my position and do all these things. And whenever we would go out in the wilderness, I became the guy who, who you know, who navigated. Well, I had a friend who said, Jordan, I had been inviting him for years, and he said, I want to go with you, Jordan. I said, okay, man, but you got to train, because I train too. And he says, I've been walking up and down the boulevard with my backpack on for the last you know, couple weeks. And I said, well, if that's all you can do, that's, that's fine. And he, he, you know, he said, come over and make sure my gear is good to go. And I said, all right, well, you look like you got some good gear. And we went out, and we hiked to this, one of the deepest ravines in Southern California. And it was just at the, the tail end of winter, so there was snow on the ground, and and we got out there, and, you know, we camped and lit, lit a campfire, and we talked, and it was a great time. We woke up the next morning, and it was time to hike out, and we had to hike five miles, climbing 4,000 feet in elevation to get back to our, you know, where we started, where the parking lot was. Well, I woke up, and like I always do, first thing you do is I have some coffee, I have some oatmeal, right, to fuel this journey, and I've got, you know, protein bars and trail mix and a five-hour energy in my pocket. And I've got a backpack full of water. So 
I don't have to stop. I'm fueled up. I'm ready to go. And Nick was a thin guy, and he said, I don't eat breakfast. And I said, Nick, you got to do it. He said, no, 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 I'm fine. Well, we jump on the trail, and immediately, immediately he falls behind. And I go back, and I say, hey, man, come on, are you okay? He goes, no, no, no I'll be fine, I'll be fine. And I, I knew immediately he was tired. And I, you know, I had 40, 50 pounds on the guy. And um, I, we had walkie-talkies, and I, and I got, up, I got up, up, up on the trail, and I got to a, a midway point where we crossed a stream. And I call him, and I say, Nick, are you there? Nick, are you there? And he's breaking up. And um, I couldn't find him. I backtracked. I dropped my backpack, and I backtracked, and he was nowhere to be found. And I thought to myself, I've killed this guy. He, he's going he's to disappear in the wilderness, and they're never going to find him. And that happens. And I began to panic. And I said, if you get lost and die in panic, then now there's two dead people go back, hike back to the trailhead, and get search and rescue. It was a two-hour hike. So I put my backpack on, and I had to talk to myself. I was on the trail. Jordan, just go back to the trail. And I hiked, and I finally got out of there, and I waited at the parking lot, and the sun started to go down. And I said, I'm going to get search and rescue. And several hours had gone by. And as I was driving away, I stopped at a ridge, and the ridge overlooks this deep ravine, and I just shouted, and I could hear from the trees, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I went back to the parking lot, and he finally showed up an hour later. His backpack was empty. He had thrown everything out of it, and it was all because he didn't do what was necessary to endure this hard hike. It was simple. It was really simple. See, we think we have to endure the Christian walk in our own strength, that, that that we have to have the power to resist temptation, and I have to have the power to always be a faithful witness. And the truth is, we run out of steam if we don't fill up on what God has provided for us. There's a lot of passive verbs here. Being filled with the knowledge. This is something we receive passively from God. Be strengthened. It doesn't mean go and get strengthened and come back and talk to me. It says, let God strengthen you. It's passive. It's we're receiving the strength of God passively. Knowledge is power. The knowledge of God empowers us to live and walk faithfully in a way that pleases Him. Where is your, where, where is your, your energy, your endurance coming from? Does it come from just a, a grit, tough, pull, up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps um, tenacity? Are you trusting that his power is sufficient, his grace is sufficient? Are you going to God in prayer? Are you pouring out your heart to him? Are you, are you, are you trusting in him or are you trusting in yourself? Like Nick, he trusted that he had the power to make it back and he almost died out there in the wilderness. He didn't fill up with just some simple prescriptions for energy. And God has some simple prescriptions for energy for us to walk the Christian life and to make it every day. Trust in him. Look to him. Rely on him. Confess your faults to him. Acknowledge that you're weak and you can't endure. In his strength, in, his, in our weakness, his strength is made perfect, not in our strength. God is glorified in us when we rely on his strength and not our own. Let's pray. Father, um, we confess as a, as, a, as a group of people, as a congregation, 
we confess as your people that we mess things up, that we rely on ourselves, and in doing so, we run out of steam, and we often don't trust you. Um, many of the, uh, the temptations we give into are a result of not fully leaning on you and looking to you for strength to make it, for the strength and empowering we need to, to live the Christian life and to walk obediently to you, O oh God. We, we're so grateful that your grace um, continues to invite us in uh, to, to participate and to, to partake of your mercy and your glory. And so we ask this morning, Lord, help us to lean on you. Help us to, to find strength, your strength, in our weakness. Help us, O oh God, to look to you for uh, our endurance this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As you, as you reflect on the sermon this morning, on these truths, as the offertory boxes come by,